So what I want to share today, I think, is going to be um, actually the last in the nonviolent communication series. Um, and this is on um, listening with empathy. Uh, I think everyone in here has been in for some of the nonviolent communication, so I'm not going to give any background other than um, much of this is taken straight from Marshall Rosenberg's um, book, Nonviolent Communication, <laughs> which I highly recommend. Uh, in terms of empathy, I want to start with his definition of it because there are lots of ways that this word can be used, and so we're really looking at it um, through this specific lens. Uh, he describes empathy as a respectful understanding of what others are experiencing. And I would just add to that a respectful understanding of what we are experiencing, too. I mean, it works both ways. And he shares a beautiful quote um, from um, uh, ancient Chinese um, philosopher that I can't pronounce his name, Chung Zhao, gonna try. The hearing that is only in the ears is one thing. The hearing of, of understanding of the mind is another. But the hearing of the spirit is not limited to any one faculty, to the ear or to the mind. Hence, it demands emptiness of all faculties. When the faculties are empty, then the whole being listens. There is a direct grasp of what is right there before you, but can never be heard with the ear or understood with the mind. We know we are in that space of true empathy by a felt quality of it that is different than our kind of day-to-day -day usual interactions. And I don't use this word lightly. You can feel a sort of sacredness arising in relationship when you're really touching in to that empathetic space. When we're listening with our whole being, our whole being is engaged and we're hearing beyond what the ears and what the mind can understand. That's what he means by the emptiness of all faculties, which means being able to hear past all of our distractions, all of our ways that we zone out, all of our reactivities, all of that complication that comes along with our normal, usual day-to-day -day being. And that is not easy to like clear the decks and drop all the way into that, that space. He also quotes philosopher Simone Weil, uh, who says, the capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is very rare and a difficult thing. It's almost a miracle. It is a miracle. Nearly all those who think they have the capacity do not possess it.
we have to have some sense of how often our reactivity, our distractedness is getting in the way before we can really drop into that deeper level. Um, and I just want to say, um, um, one way our reactivity can, can carry a deep disguise is right in that form of being the um, um, person who is super wanting to be helpful. <laughs> you know, like super wanting to show up and say the right thing and do the right thing. And we feel like our hearts are engaged and we're right there. And we're not even getting that that kind of leaning forward um, is a little bit of a survival rescuer mode. Like um, um, I, can, I can gear up and like do this. Um, and, and so often we're not even recognizing that some of our attempts at empathy are actually more about our way of managing our reactivity. And I hear this in the class a lot. I will hear people say um, initially in the class things like, um, oh, it's just so easy to be empathetic with others. I can't do it with myself. What I have found is that when someone says that at the beginning of the class, typically as time goes on and they start to meet themselves with a new kind of understanding and empathy, then they begin to see this whole new world of possibility of relating to others that they hadn't actually met before. Um, a whole new level of, of grace and healing that can open in these moments. So if we really want to be present with empathy for someone else, we have to know how to do that inward listening that lets us know what's going on empathetically with our own self in those moments. When we don't have this kind of awareness, Marshall Rosenberg says that what we um, tend to do then is either give advice, give reassurance, or like if it's directed at us, go into explaining our position and our feelings um, in regards. And he gives, he gives this great example. His daughter, uh, when she was a young teen, he, um, she was standing in front of a marrow and he heard, him, heard her say, and I can't even like say this without feeling my own parent reactivity wanting to jump into rescuer mode right alongside of him and do the same thing he did. Um, he heard her say, I'm as, I'm ugly, I'm as ugly as a pig. So... His response, jumping in, was, oh no, you're the most gorgeous creature of God ever put on the face of the earth. And then he says, she shot me a look of exasperation and slammed the door as she left the room. I realized later that what she had wanted was empathy instead of my ill-timed reassurance. I could have said, are you feeling disappointed right now with how you look? So, he gives a list of the things we do instead of being empathetic. First, consoling, which is what he did. You are the most gorgeous creature, <laughs> you know, like trying to um, reassure it away. Or, it wasn't your fault, you did the best you could. Sympathizing. Oh, you poor thing. 
shutting down, and I love his naming that this is a, um, a version of shutting down. Cheer up. Don't feel so bad. You know, I'm like not even going to go there with you. Let's just look on the bright side of things. <laughs> um, advising. I think you should. Um, or an advising um, that um, I get a lot. Like, say, say I actually really am aware that I just blew it in something. And I'm not going into self-judgment, but I am going into self-introspection to learn as much about it as possible. And it's kind of a painful place to stand in. So offering it, I will hear, don't be so hard on yourself, um, which is a form of advising. Like, don't go down that road. Come somewhere else. Um, interrogating. So when did you start feeling like you look so bad? You know, like trying to find out. Educating. This could turn into a very positive experience for you. <laughs> One-upping. That's nothing. Wait till you hear what happened to me. Or if it involves us correcting. That's not what happened. Here, let me tell you the truth. <laughs> you know. So Harold Kushner in When Bad Things Happen to Good People, his son was dying, and he describes how painful it was to hear, hear people's um, words to him that were trying to make him feel better. And it wasn't even so much what they said being off, but rather the fact that he realized that for the past 20 years, he had been saying those same sorts of things to people, trying to um, make people feel better. So one of the biggest things that gets in the way of empathy is feeling like we have to fix the situation in some way. We have to get this person out of this place now. Um, and that need for us to, to not be in that discomfort with them prevents us actually from being able to be with them. So what to do instead? Um, as we've been talking, all of nonviolent com communication um, um, hinges on listening for feelings and needs. Uh, and the way I think about it is, how do we listen underneath the story for what the feeling is and what the universal need is underneath that. Um, we get so caught at that surface level of the story that we miss what's really important underneath far more than the details of the story. For example, with his um, daughter above, um, the feeling he wondered whether he missed was disappointment. Um, and maybe that, need, that feeling could have been attached to a need of peer connection belonging among peers. And no father gush, fatherly gush, <laughs> is ever going to meet the need for peer connection. Um, so it would need to be uh, addressed with her, held for her in a totally different way to be empathetic. So he says, empathy requires us to focus our full attention on the other person's message. 
We give to others the time and space they need to express themselves fully until they feel understood. And if we are listening to something that is directed at us, or even just something that makes us uncomfortable, this can be really hard, really challenging. So particularly if it's addressed at us, it's important to watch for the trap of taking the story personally, like jumping straight into self-judgment of me or, self or judgment of them. Um, which is the reactive place. Just even the difference between, um, you know, like say they really are pointing out something I did do, um, going into a place of, oh, I'm so bad. You know, like what's wrong with me? Versus, wow, yeah, I really did make a mistake. What can I do to help this situation? When the message we're getting is particularly intimidating or frustrating, being able to learn to hear, even if that message is coming at us, in essence, it's a person appealing for our help for meeting needs, for meeting unmet needs that are causing pain um, for this person. I remember um, particular teenage years with one particular daughter uh, uh, in general um, um, when I could shift from um, um, the full frontal attack <laughs> that's what felt sometimes like a full frontal attack. Let me rephrase that. What felt sometimes like a full frontal attack when I could shift from hearing that as being like a bomb at me um, to hearing instead, wow, there is what she's naming in essence is a hurt and a need that needs my attention. And to like, again, come below the story and meet what the real issue is. And um, when I could do that, and I will say when she's done that for me too, um, um, it's a graceful place. It's really just the sweetest place in the world to start feeling what can happen when we meet each other at that place. So when it comes really, really head on hard, or feels like it's coming really, really head on hard to us, it's so important to get curious about what's really going on here. What, you know, there's my reactivity. And I need to acknowledge, tend to that in some way or another. But can I ignite my curiosity to want to know what's really at the essence of what's happening here? So often what we have to do first is find some way to clear the decks of our own reactivity. Um, um, some way to notice, you know, my lid has flipped <laughs> and I really want to be here. And that can look like all sorts of things, but um, um, the, the truth of that um, is um, very clear uh, in this quote. The more faithfully you listen to the voice within you, the better you will hear what is happening outside. 
So then he says, what about if we find ourselves unable or unwilling to empathize despite our best efforts? Um, this is usually a sign that we are too starved for empathy ourselves. We're not able to offer it because we're carrying so much need within ourselves that that has to have some attention first. We need empathy to be able to give empathy. Um, so it might be anywhere that I like actually need to do a little bit of personal empathetic first aid <laughs> all the way to personal empathetic advanced cardiac life support <laughs> depending on the situation. Um, but really honoring um, the inward need in terms of being able to have an outward availability in the way that I would like. The more we do that, the more we start to touch into that, that beautiful place of felt sense of, of empathy. So two other skills he names, that, or he names one other skill, and I'm going to add one that are really, 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 really helpful. The first is to paraphrase what we're hearing as a question to see if we've heard it well. So in the case of his daughter, um, um, if he had said, um, um, had sensed disappointment instead of going to his reactivity, he might have said something like, are you feeling disappointed with your appearance? Like, check it out. And you may be right, which is helpful, and you may be wrong, which is also helpful. It helps redirect. It helps give possibility for the person to, to hone it a little closer to what they really are feeling. So that checking it out that we're hearing correctly is very, very important. And the one I would add, which is all what he's saying over and over in this whole thing, but I just want to name it overtly, Validate, validate, validate. That was the single most helpful skill I learned to navigate teen years. <laughs> and it is not validating the story, not validating behaviors, but validating feelings and validating needs. And anytime I can drop it down here, instead of that superficial story level, um, I am in a whole different terrain that has a whole different possibility. Um, and something that came up in the group last night, I'd never actually kind of thought of it this way, but it, uh, it made me realize I actually have practiced enough with validation that if I can remember to do it when my lid is flipped, I can actually use validating someone else's emotional state as an anchor to bring me back to work with my inner reactivity because what, what looking for the valid shared human experience does is it brings me back to my sense of what I care about most, um, um, my sense of how I want to be in a situation. So um, validate, 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 and even notice how you can use that as a skill to help you find your grounding. So the last thing I want to share is a beautiful example from the book of someone using this. Uh, so he said um, that someone who just finished an NBC training was a volunteer at a hospital. Uh, and one day she was there and some nurses requested that she talk to an elderly patient. Um, they told the volunteer uh, that 
You know, we keep telling the woman that she's not that sick. If she'll just take her medicine, she'll be fine. But all she does instead is sit in a room and say, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die. So they asked her to go um, visit her. The volunteer went to the room. The woman was sitting on the edge of the bed. And just as the nurses had predicted, she was sitting there whispering, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die. So the volunteer sat down next to her and said, so, you just want to die. To which the woman broke off her chant immediately and looked relieved. And then this is um, the story. She began to talk about how no one understood how terrible she was feeling. The volunteer continued to reflect back the woman's feelings. Before long, such warmth had entered their dialogue that they were sitting with their arms wrapped around each other. Later that day, the nurses questioned the volunteer about what she had done as the um, elderly woman was now eating, taking her medicine, and appearing much better. Although the nurses had tried to help her with advice and reassurance, it wasn't until her interaction with the volunteer that this woman received what she was truly needing connection with another human being who could hear her profound despair, who could stand empathetically right in that most difficult place without shying away in any way. So when we stay with empathy, what we're learning to do is help ourselves and others touch into deeper levels of ourselves. And those deeper levels are innately, profoundly healing. And that's what this, this whole nonviolent communication is hopefully geared to helping us learn to step into more often. So Marshall Rosenberg gives this um, final quote. He says, there is a Buddhist saying that actually describes this ability. Don't just do something. Stand there. So we'll stop for a minute there. And just sit. <laughs>